Nobody can tear it down. God is good, is he not? All the time. God is good. Uh, Brian, open us up, buddy. Please, sir. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we'll be in Romans 5 if you want to turn there. Yay. Romans is always a good book to look at. Sometimes it's a deep book. We'll try to get a little, pull something out of it, okay? Title of the message is God's Agape Love. The last three weeks we've been looking at one another, have we not? Loving one another. We've looked at the birthmark of a believer, if you would, where the characteristic, the very nature of a Christian is to love one another. That is our birthmark. People should be able to see our birthmark of love as we walk around this old world. Love ought to just come shining out of us, if you would. John 15, 35 says what? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That is our birthmark, was it not? We've also talked about how when we refuse to love one another, that it can hinder and even, even stop our prayer life. The Bible talks about that. When we are disobedient to the Lord, when we harbor wickedness in our heart, when we don't love like He has instructed us to, God's Word says it will hinder and or stop uh, you having a successful prayer life. You see, He wants us to be obedient, does He not? We've also uh, looked at that as we are to love one another, we are to love one another in truth and in honesty with, without hypocrisy, without a fakeness. And if you remember, the only way that we can ever do that, to love someone that is very difficult to love and to forgive someone is very difficult, is to allow the Holy Spirit to work that within us. We cannot do that from our own flesh, our own willpower. We can't pull up our boots far enough to be able to love the unlovable without the Holy Spirit putting that into our lives. Because we know where the Holy Spirit is, do we not? For every born-again believer, he's right here. And because God is love, we are to pass that love along to other people. You know, loving one another proves that we love God. We talked about this last week. When we love and give love to, to people, it proves that we love God. It also proves that we have been born again. 
it proves that we have the Holy Spirit living with inside of us, and it also gives us a confidence and assurance that we do never we will never have to fear judgment day. Okay? All because that just that little phrase, we love one another, truly, truly love one another. That's what it proves to us and it proves to the world that we are one of God's very loving children. The messages of the last three weeks have have uh, tried to teach us what the Bible says about love so that we can get a biblical perspective on how to love one another. It is also, they were also designed to encourage us to love one another, okay? It also was designed to motivate us to live the Christian life, motivate us to tell others, motivate us to, to be a person where love comes from. So that other people can see our love. And it's designed to show us that we can't love like we are called to love without the Holy Spirit giving us that kind of love for those kinds of people, whoever they may be. Okay? That is the last three weeks' messages, and that's what they were designed to do. We looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago that we looked at the kind of love that a husband and wife has for each other. Okay, we looked at that. We looked at the kind of love that uh, family members have with each other. We looked at that filio, that brotherly love kind of love that, that we have for our friends. And today we're going to take, take it the next step. We're going to take a little bit different approach today. We're going to look at agape love. And I want to look at agape love from God's point of view. Because God is love, and He loves us unconditionally, He loves us uncompromisingly, and He loves us sacrificially. That's His agape love. So we're going to look at today, God's agape kind of love. Because we know that He loves us, and He loves us in a very special way. Verse 6 of chapter 5, let's begin there. Kind of gives you a warm-up there of where we're trying to head today. In verse 6, it says this, For while we were still, while we were still helpless, at the right time, God died, Christ died for the ungodly. It says, when we were still helpless, when we had no ability and no power to save ourselves, when we were a, a person who had no hope for ever having an eternity, we were helpless. When we were spiritually dead and spiritually dying on the vine, if you would, the Bible says Jesus died for us. When we were living the ungodly life, when our life was such that we had rejected the things of God, we, didn't have, we weren't in the same perspective of where God was. We were rebellious. We were rejected. We had denied Him. We were living the ungodly life. And what does it say when we were living that kind of life? He says, for while we were still helpless, while we had no hope for eternity, no hope for salvation, no hope anywhere, it said he still died for the helpless. And then it says he died for the ungodly. He died for us. He died for you and me. He died for the, the godless, the ungodly. He died for the helpless. You see, it is a great thing because, see, he died 
for our benefit. He died for our sake. He died in our behalf. He died in our place, did he not? He is our substitute, and he was our sacrifice. You see, when we look at it that way, what Jesus did on that cross, that is a great example of what agape love really is. Unconditional, uncompromising, sacrificial. He did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. Ephesians 5, 2 says it this way. And he says, And walk in love, just as Christ loved you. Well, I just showed you how he loves you. And gave himself up for us and for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's agape love. When he died for the helpless and he died for the ungodly. And he died for you and he died for me. The third thing I want you to see in that verse 6 right here. It says, and at the right time, Christ died. At the right time. Well, what is the right time? The right time is God's appointed time. Whatever that might be. You see, man had to figure out that he could not save himself. Man could not figure out that, that he needed a savior. Man had struggled with the point that, yeah, man's a sinner, but I can do what I need to do, I'm going to be okay. And the Old Testament and the law speaks to this, and it proves to the fact that man cannot save himself, that man cannot be good enough. And that just brings a thought to my mind that I just read yesterday on Facebook. And I was talking to Mick about this. 60% they save evangelistic pastors. 60% say that you can be good enough to be, when you die, to go to heaven. 60% of them. That's unbelievable. Only 40% of people that are preaching the word says there's only one way to heaven. And that's Jesus Christ. And we're not getting off that point right there. Okay? Unbelievable that it's like that. See, God has an appointed time. And he had to prove to man that they could not save themselves. That they were not going to be good enough for themselves. They could not do it. And, and, and Jesus came. And at the appointed time, at the appointed time, what happened? Jesus came and, and, he, and, and the Virgin Mary gave birth and he, born, he was born and he walked on his face this earth for 30, 33 years at the right time. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He put Jesus right there when he was supposed to, at the right time. And one of these days, he put him there as a, as a little baby. And one of these days, he's going to descend, the Bible tells us, from heaven. There's going to be a shout from heaven. There's going to be the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God's going to sound and bingo, bango, he's coming in the sky and we're going to meet him in the sky to be with him forever and forever. And when's that going to happen? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you something. It's God's appointed time at the right time. God, Jesus is going to come back to get his people. Hallelujah. I hope you're looking forward to that day because that'll be the greatest day in the history of your life when he comes to get his people. Yes, he's come and God appointed a right time. Just to make it a little more personal on that right time. I'm here to tell you that God is a perfect God. Amen. And God has a perfect plan for your life. 
And he has a perfect timing for your life. And when you pray and you seek and you knock on the heaven's door and you keep doing that and you figure out, God, where, God, you're not answering my prayer. You're not hearing me. Are you even paying attention to me, God? I can promise you, if you have been born again, God's hearing your prayer. I can tell you that he is going to answer your prayer one of these days if you keep persistently knocking on his door. And I'm going to tell you again that his timing is perfect. You might think your timing is today or tomorrow. And maybe he says, that ain't right for you, boys and girls. I got something for you better coming down the road in about six months, a year or two years or ten. You see, his timing is perfect because he is a perfect God who has a perfect plan for you and for me. Yeah. He has an appointed time, and at the right time, Christ died. At the right time, Christ is coming back, and at the right time, God's going to work something in your life that he believes it, not believes, he knows that it is perfect for you. I don't know about you, but that's something you can stand on. That's something that you can praise God for because he is perfect. And he does that, why? Because of his goppy love that he has for us. His unconditional, uncompromising, sacrificial love that he has for us no matter what. He still loves us that much. And he's given us these promises to stand on. And he says, I still love you even when you are helpless and even when you're ungodly and even when you're a sinner. My agape love still applies to you. That is good stuff. Verse 7. For the one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. What's he saying there? Paul is writing this. He said, the line is pretty short, is it not? For somebody that would say, I'm going to die for a righteous guy. You're a pretty good guy over there. Mick, you're a good guy. I think I'll I'll just sacrifice my life for old Mick over there. That line is pretty short. Not everybody's going to jump in that line and say, I'm willing to die for somebody else. Time of war, we see it, but most of the time in society, we don't see it. We're not going to die for a righteous man. We're not even going to die for a, for a good man, the Bible says. The line is, is too short. But we see in verse 6, who did he die for? He died for the helpless, and he died for the ungodly. But we look around here, and who's going to die for the good guys? Well, the answer is probably nobody. Nobody, nobody's going to do that. But I can tell you what Jesus did. I can tell you what he did. He didn't die just for the good and the righteous and the the perfect people in this whole world. Who did he die for? He died for the ungodly. He died for the worthless. He died for the homeless and the helpless. He died for those who rejects him. He died for those who rebel against him. He died... He died for those who curse him. He died for those who deny him. He he died for those guys that took a whip and beat him half to death, 39 lashes. He died for those kind of people. He died for those soldiers who drove those spikes in his hands and his feet. He died for the ungodly and the helpless. He died for those that, that... Put that old crown of thorns on his head and jammed it on his head and the blood came out of his his brow. He died for those kind of people. He died for those folks that as he's hanging on that cross that mocked him and made fun of him, that cursed him, he died for them. 
the ones that spit at him and, and pulled his beard. He died for them. You see, that's agape love. That's what agape love is all about. Did you know he even died? He even died for the drug addict in our world. He died for that prostitute in our world. He died for that alcoholic in that world because his word says, I died for the helpless and I died for the ungodly. That's who Jesus died for. He died for people that nobody else would even think about dying for, much less give them a drink of water. You see, that's who he died for, and he willingly did that. The Bible tells us he willingly went to the cross. He willingly went there and let him beat him half to death. He willingly went there and put the spikes and the nails and the thorns and the spear. He willingly did that. Why? Because of his agape love for you and I, the helpless and the godless. That is amazing that he would be willing to do that. For friend, that's agape love. That sacrificial love that God and his son Christ have for us. Unconditional and uncompromising kind of a love. In verse 8, the great verse that I guess I couldn't get out of my mind starting early Monday. But it says, God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he demonstrated, he showed us, he showed us what agape love was. Did you know that that Friday on the cross cost, uh, cost our Lord Severely, our Father God had to pay an enormous price, an enormous price, for His Son to be hanging on that cross. An enormous price. We just think it. Well, that was that was God's plan, and and it just happened, and and He just kind of sat up there and twiddled his thumbs till it got over. Now that's not what happened. Let me tell you the enormous price that God paid. To have his son hang on a cross. God had to send his son out of spiritual perfection. He sent his son out of heaven where there was no sin and no pain. And there was no death and there was no yuck. And he said, son, I'm, I'm going to have to take you out of this spot right now of, of perfection. And I'm going to send you down to a world that is corrupt and sinful and hurtful. You're going to have to go down there and live for a while, son. He hated to have to do that, but he did. But why did he do it? Because he loves us so much. He had to humiliate his son and take him from eternal glory, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he says, son, you're going to have to go down on this whole earth, and you're going to have to become a man. And, and the Bible says the man has a corruptible flesh with corruptible desires. And he says, son, I know it's going to be humiliating to you because you are, you're used to this glory, eternal glory, but you've got to go do this, son. You've got to go put on the clothes of a man, this corruptible flesh, because, son, I love you them so much. 
You see, God had to watch his son being rejected, being denied, being cursed at, being abused, being tortured. And God had to watch his son to be murdered. I'm not sure I could do that. But you see, he's looking down at heaven. He says, this is my plan. Man, I I wish I'd have thought of a different one. (laughs) But he didn't. And he watched his son being murdered and knowing all the time all he had to do, all he had to do was call out 10,000 angels. All he had to do was say, son, get off the cross. Son, just all he had to do was just stop it. But he loved us so much that he didn't stop it. God loves us so much. God had to appoint his son to die on the cross. For the sins of man. You see the crucifixion. Was the. Worst form of. Execution. Ever invented by man. Ever invented by the enemy. The devil. And yet God said son. This is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to die on his cross. You're going to have to suffer and bleed and die. For the sins of mankind. Why would he ever do that? Why would Jesus willingly do that? Because of his agape love you see God had to lay the sins of the world on him all the sins of the world were placed on Jesus as he laid on that cross he who knew no sin became sin he who knew no sin became see Jesus became the Bible says he became sin as he as he's hanging on that cross The stench of sin. I can't imagine what Jesus was thinking. When God heaped all the sins of the world upon him at that point where he had lived in perfection and not sin. No. And yet now he is covered in sin. The stench of sin must have been awful as Jesus hung on that cross. And why would he do that? Because of his agape love he has for us. God had to judge his son as a sinner and had to condemn him to die. You going to do that for your son? (laughs) See, God had to do that. He had to judge his son and condemn him to die for the sin of mankind. For your sin, for my sin, for every sin committed in this whole old world. He was judged, condemned to die. For the sin of mankind. Can you imagine. When all this was happening. God turned away from him. On the cross. God turned away from him. And Jesus cries out. Father, Father, where are you? (laughs) Father, have you forsaken me? God couldn't look. On his son. As his son became sin. Perfect God. My son, my perfect son now is sin. I can't even look at him. And Jesus knew it. What an enormous price God paid. God had to put out all his wrath of sin on his son. What a demonstration of love. What a demonstration of love. What an enormous price that God paid. In order for you and I to have an opportunity to have salvation, 
Yeah, you just think God, God was just, that's his plan, bingo, it's going to happen. I could just imagine God probably hurt for a long time. He might be hurting for an eternity over what he had to do to his son. He gave up his son to die for us. You see, we don't deserve it and we will never deserve Jesus' death on the cross. We will never deserve God's agape love. But he died as our substitute. He died as our sacrifice. He died on the cross. So you and I would never have to do that. Amen and amen. We don't have to face judgment because of what he did on the cross. John ten eleven says it this way. I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. That's God's agape love. John fifteen thirteen says this. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life because we are his friends. That's agape love. Isaiah 53, 5 in the Old Testament said, But he was wounded for our transgressions. Okay. He was bruised for our iniquities, and chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That's agape love, ladies and gentlemen. And what can separate us from agape's love? That kind of love that is so uncompromising and unconditional, sacrificial. There's a great two verses in Romans. That if you, if you don't know them, I, I'd suggest that you get to know them. Because it, it tells us what can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, 38, 39. And it says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor power, no height, no depth, or any other created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You understand what that says? You look at that list, and you look at that list, and I dare you to find one thing in this old world that that list does not apply to. Find one thing that said, yeah, I got it. God doesn't love me because of this. You can't do it. You can't do it. What amazing love that he has for us. What an amazing agape love that he has for us. When life is good, he loves us so much. When life is hard, he loves us so much. When we are in the valleys of life, he loves us so much. Because his word tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing separates us from the love of God. That's agape love, ladies and gentlemen. And then real quickly, we see in verse 9. Because of his agape love, it says this in verse 9. It says, how much more then, having now been justified by his blood... 
That word justified means as if we had never sinned. When we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He took our sins and He gave us His righteousness. Which means we are right with God. We are right with God. You and God are not sideways. You are God. You and God are not kind of bent a little bit. When we accepted Him as Lord and Savior, He justified us through His blood as if we had never sinned. That's pretty good stuff right there. And then we keep reading in 9, in verse 9, and it says, He has saved us, uh, He has saved us from the wrath of God to come. We will never experience the wrath of God if we've been born again. Not going to happen. John 3.36 says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he, does not, he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. You see, we will never, as born-again believers, when we accepted Christ, we will never have to worry about the wrath of God. We'll never have to have a fear of judgment because he has justified us he has made us right with Him. He has kept us from judgment. And the last thing we would see in verse 10, just real quickly, He said, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. You see, because of sin, our relationship with Holy God is broken before we were saved. There was a break in that relationship, and sin always does that. But you see, because of the blood of Christ, because we've accepted the blood of Christ, says we are now reconciled with Him. That relationship is no longer broken, but it is reconciled. It has come together. They are now as one, if you would. What a great relationship. And because we have been reconciled with God, we can have the peace of God. And the peace of God and the peace of God of God and a peace for God because that's what he's promised us man we, if we have received God's agape love if we have experienced God's agape love if we've witnessed God's agape love what are we going to do about it <laughs> what are we going to do about it what should be our response of what Christ did on the cross? What's our response when we think about how much God loves us unconditionally? What is our response to that? Well, I think we know, don't you? I think you know. Because if He loves us that much and we've experienced that, we are to do what? We are to pass that along to somebody else. The Bible tells us we are to love those that are not lovable. Forgive those that are unforgivable. Why? Because we've experienced His love. And if His love is in us and His Holy Spirit is in us, He will empower us to love the unlovable. And I'm going to say this in all love, but you don't have an excuse not to love other people if you've been born again. There is no excuse not to. There's not one excuse that you can come up with that says, 
No, I don't think so, God. But God would say, you've experienced it, haven't you? You've been saved, haven't you? Haven't you witnessed other people being saved and getting something that, that, that you've got and now they've got? And don't you want them to have what you all got? There's no excuse not to love because we are commanded not to ask, but we are commanded to love one another. Because God has loved us so much. And because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Because of that agape love that he's bestowed upon us. We as his children have to bestow the same love on other people. And the question is, are you willing to do that? (laughs) Are you willing to do that? And I ask that question and, and, I, and I, I bet you every person in this room had an answer when I asked that question. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I will. Mm, no, nah, I don't think so. Not today. Not going to do it. Not going to love that guy. Not going to love that person. Just not going to do it. That's your choice. But when we are obedient to the Lord, He will empower us to be able to do that. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to change your life? Will you allow your Holy Spirit to work within you to say, yeah, I'm going to love that person. They don't like me. They don't love me. They might even hate me. But you know, my Bible says this. (laughs) And the question is, am I going to be obedient to that? It might take swallowing a big old bucket of pride. It might be having to eat a, a hamburger of humility. But I guarantee you when you do it, you'll be blessed. Well, you say, well, what if they don't, what if they don't want to do that? That's fine. That's fine. But you have done what you are supposed to do. If you have been reconciled with the Lord... He wants you to try to reconcile with other people. And once you do what you're supposed to do, it's not no longer in your hands. It's in God's hands. And, and He will give the results. Ron, as we get our invitation time, I, I hope that you have seen God's agape love. So amazing so amazing that we have experienced it and seen it and witnessed it now we've been called to pass pass along that agape love I pray for you guys I pray for myself when that person comes into my mind and I go oh not sure about that one but we have to Because our Lord, who loves us so much, has told us to. You've got the agape love. You've got his amazing grace. You need to pass that along as a light to an unbelieving world. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As the piano plays, I would ask you to do business with the Lord. If there's an area, if there's a person, if there's something that God has convicted you of, I would do business with it right now. Don't put it off. Do business now. Who is that person that's in your mind right now that you got to love? Pray for that person. Pray for that person.
piano plays.